Welcome to Food for Thought. A podcast where we talk about meals over business. Each episode, I speak to owners, operators, managers and marketeers about everything that makes the restaurant industry tick. I'm Dan Stock. Join me as I delve into the business of restaurants in the yummiest way through lots of delicious food. Today, I am absolutely delighted to welcome Nat Paul to the show. Nat is the owner-baker of Beatrix Bakes, one of Melbourne's most loved bakeries. When it opened in 2011, Nat quickly found fans and fame for a take on traditional country bakery treats and today has transformed the bakery into an online store, selling whole cakes that consistently sell out. She's the author of a best-selling bake book of the same name, has appeared on MasterChef, sharing some of the secrets to her incredible creations, and later this month will embark on her biggest catering gig yet, cooking brunch for 1,600 friends in Melbourne's Treasury Gardens as part of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival World's Longest Brunch. Nat, welcome. Thanks for having me on today, Dan. It this is, is so ab- lovely. Absolutely great to, to have you here in the in the old, in the old shop. Old shop. Yes, it's a, it's yes. a real treat um, to, to, to be here. But before we jump into uh, talking about building a, a baking empire, let's <laughs> let's talk quickly about restaurants. Yes. Have you got uh, one of your? What was the most memorable restaurant meal you? have eaten anywhere in the world? Uh, it's so hard. Like re- eating at restaurants is kind of my um, top hobby in life, yeah. um, apart from, um, yeah, over everything else. So um, the first one that comes to mind is that, and I don't know if anyone remembers the chef, um, Philip Searle, who had Oasis Seros in Sydney in the 80s and 90s, I think mm-hmm. early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, he was this incredible chef. He was a, like an artist and a chef. He sort of started to bring Asian flavours into um, classic, you know, French cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so innovative. His desserts were incredible, which is probably why I gravitated towards his food. Yes. But I never got to eat there, but he moved, relocated to Blue Mountains and opened Vulcans, his beautiful restaurant in the country um, up in Blackheath. And I went up there um, for lunch um, one summer and the meal was incredible. I just remember eating this um, beautiful poached or steamed um, eggplant, which was the first time I'd ever had steamed eggplant. It was so silky soft and with beautiful calamari and all these like Asian flavours. And then this like pot roasted lamb shoulder with um, turmeric and all these like beautiful warm spices. And then I got to have his famous dessert, which was a checkerboard ice cream cake. Wow. Tell us about that. Uh, uh, so it is... Um, it's a border of star anise ice cream and then it has a checkerboard of pineapple sorbet and the star anise ice cream again. In between each checkerboard or checker square is a thin um, painting of licorice, melted licorice that sets and divides all the checkerboards. It is the most incredible dessert oh, wow. ever. Yeah. Um, and so that is just like lives in my mind all the time. And I also had this like really simple quince and coconut cake, but not simple when Philip Searle does it. And that was also incredible. And I've tried to recreate it, but I don't have his magic. You can't, can't <laughs> I quite, can't, quite, I can't quite do it. it. No, no, no. <laughs> it was so good. So that is my yeah, um, number one best thing I've ever, ever eaten. Yeah, best okay. ever meal in my life. Um, amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that, uh, you know, you haven't tried to – haven't been able to reverse engineer it means that it's pretty, pretty – It's special, special. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you've been baking it, – it says a little blurb on, on your site. So you, you baked your first – Butter cake yeah. at, at, when you were age seven. Was it? Was that really when the, the It the was really, bug yeah. Hit? I just remember the book that I got from the library. It was this like black and white sort of like 
you know, janky little recipe book showing how to like beat butter and sugar by hand. Um, and I tried to like get my friends to come over and do it with me because I was so excited this was going to be like an amazing experience. They did not find it as exciting as I did. Um, but I just knew after that moment that it was like, that that's what I wanted to do. So it was just like ingesting as much, you know, um, books as I could and yeah. And trying to learn as much. So even so, through your, your young childhood, you were sort of in the kitchen, yep. baking, yep. as a as, as a hobby. Yep. Um, and also, like I had a real sweet tooth. So mm. if you you know if you can't go out and buy them, like make them at home. Yes. Like that's yeah. like you know needs must kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and and so when when was that moment that you transformed that into a career? Was that straight after school or yeah so I did um year uh, I was 15 years old and I did work experience at um Bilson's restaurant mm-hmm. in Sydney at the time um and um worked in the kitchen there I was terrible the um <laughs> so slow uh, I just did all the sections of course I love the pastry section the most doing like passion fruit souffles and creme glazes. um but yeah when I left there after work experience the chef said um Natalie you'll never make it in this industry because you work like you're on drugs and I and I I think he meant like the slow drugs not not the not the the fast drugs so so that was pretty um pretty um yeah hurtful for my little 15 year old um ego but um I kept at it yes yeah good on you yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and look today so so always in pastries that was that was the passion yeah. and that's where you, yeah always you yeah yeah through. yeah absolutely yeah and so how did, how did that transform into opening Beatrix in, in 2011? Uh, I think I'd had a couple of goes at trying to have a career um, in um, cooking and, and in baking in particular. So I'd, I'd run a wholesale baking kitchen where we just like delivered, um, made beautiful things and delivered them to cafes around town. But you're kind of working in a box the whole day and um, not really sort of seeing the customers and not having those interactions mm-hmm. and not working as seasonally, like not being able to change the menu as often as you might like. So... Um, I tried and then I think I got a bit burnt out. Mm-hmm. So I went and did a couple of years doing admin at Swinburne University, just um, doing spreadsheets and, yeah, colour coding um, for teachers and, yeah, being trying to be, like, helpful front of house kind of person. Yeah. And then the bug just got me again. The business plan started to grow. Yeah. I got a name. I sort of realised I wanted to keep baking and then um, my partner found this place on the corner and it was just like, yeah, yeah. And then it was like, yep, yeah, we're going to do this again. We're yeah. going to do yeah, it. One yeah. last roll of the dice. Yeah. 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 And, and, a, and a, a pretty amazing role uh, where, where we are. It's on Queensbury Street in, in North Melbourne. But the back, back blocks of it, it's yep. not a, there's not a thoroughfare. There's no foot traffic. No foot traffic. So how, how, did, that, that, um, how did that transform into such a successful business? Because that's, that's sort of going against everything that anyone tells you to do well the only thing it had really had going for it was parking yeah <laughs> so far away from everything it had really good parking um I think it was a cautious step um being risk averse it was like a it was a small shop so if it and like kind of lowish rent so um if it all fell apart I wouldn't have you know really lost a lot um I also had this like feeling that if I did something good people will come and find me um, like people found Philip Searle when he moved to Blackheath that when you sort of um, when you can do something that people like really want a slice of yeah. then then they will find you, they will find yeah. you yeah yeah 
Um, and, and for those who are listening uh, outside of uh, Melbourne, they might not really understand quite the, the hold this shop had on Melbournians. So when you, when you announced that you were closing the, 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 the shop front last year, there was a genuine outpouring of emotion yeah, and affection was, and grief even. It was huge, yes. What, yeah. what, um, what, what was that profound hold that you had? I, o- well, I don't know because you can't engineer that. You can't uh, – there's no – I don't think there's anyone that's written a business plan that says um, in 10 years' time I want people to cry when I close the doors. Like that just doesn't happen. You, you go into this – you make what you make and you hope that it resonates with people and that's, that's all I ever really wanted to do. And you hope that you create something special and not sort of cookie cutter and, you know, that everyone else is doing. So it was like quite shocking to me. Like I I wasn't, like I was dealing with my own grief about the decision. So I wasn't quite, um, I was really quite moved and shocked and everything about um, other people's grief and how much I meant to them. And it was really beautiful and wondrous, like all at the same time. Um, Did did that response... um make you question the decision to, to never, close never never, never ever ever <laughs> i think when you make big decisions if they're easy so if they're like you've got a really crappy car that you've just got to get rid of and that's a really easy decision like you know you've got to get rid of it um or if you're making a big decision like leaving relationships and things like that that are hard decisions i think once you make the decision there's some part of you that knows it's really right and that just that just stays with you so so there was no part of me that um yeah wanted to i, I knew it was the right thing to do it had to be done mm. yeah do you remember what that very last slice or, or piece i can't of remember because the, the last day was a blur <laughs> yeah. it was just like i was taking my staff down the line and making um getting claps for all the kitchen team and stuff like that, introducing them to people, the customers and stuff. So it was a real blur and lots of friends coming down to, yeah, for the last day. And then, um, so I can't even remember, I I just know we baked our little hearts out yeah. for that last day. Yeah. Was it quite a poignant moment when you closed that door for the last time? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then, but then I don't think grief really hits you until like three months down the track and sure. then you sort of like, you sort of running on this adrenaline and then three months and you sort of realize actually um actually i did close that door that's like that's done now yeah mm. you've obviously you've you've pivoted the business into an online store only yep how how does that feel because you don't have that visceral reaction um or interaction with your customers anymore and seeing seeing the joy of them eating into a, a, a vanilla slice what that's what right you. so you're, you're losing that but you're sort of gaining so much more but i gain the middle part which is where i get to show them the cake that we've made for them so when they come and pick up i get to hand their cake over to them show them the cake and get to hear their squeals of excitement and i also get to have conversations with them again which i don't think i'd had for a very long time at the shop because everything was running so busy and so fast and i was like this way that way and then um to have that little moment with them and ask them how they're going and how's life. Um, it's really is like 2013, 2014 Beatrix, like the early days when I could actually really um, chat with my customers. So mm. it's it's actually reconnected me with the, the business and with, um, yeah, That's great. my customers. And I guess because the, the unique model that your customers are coming to pick up their cakes, so you're That's not just right. sending, sending them off right. into, yeah. the, into the yeah. nether. Yeah. You still have yeah. that reaction which, um, that, or interaction. Which is just beautiful. Yeah. 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 But fundamentally running an e-commerce 
business is different to so different yeah what, what are some of the things you've learned that are some of the surprising things that that you've had to uh, navigate in in creating um well i think i w- <laughs> i think i'd realized that i actually had to start almost a new business like i had this like i think i was a bit deluded in thinking that just by carving off this retail section of the business that we would just you know move into this um online shop um but actually you do have to talk about your products a bit differently and how you talk about things on Instagram which is one of the other nice things is that um, I get to talk about the cakes and the products a little bit more intimately now Mm -hmm. before I think we were just doing like lists of what we had so it was very much this is what we have today this is what you can expect if you come down Mm -hmm. but now it's I can actually talk about like all these um, nice things Um, I also realized that um, people with e-commerce people ask a lot of the same questions so it's really great collating all of those questions that are asked repetitively and putting them into like FAQs on the website and stuff like that mm-hmm. and really sort of addressing um, uh, that, you know, getting that information to your customers is really great. And yeah, it just, you just sort of, um, yeah, you do sort of start a little bit from scratch again. Yeah. Mm. Instagram is obviously so powerful for you as the, as the brand and, and has been over the, over the past decade. How, how did you go about sort of creating that, of community at the start and, and then maintaining that over the years as as the the brand and, and the business has grown yeah um i am a real, a real hack at instagram so if you're going to ask me about insights and um interactions <laughs> yeah. or some sort of like whatever like the stats that they give you um i have no idea no and people say oh, you should post at this time of the day or that time of the day i'm like i'm just going to post when I need to tell people what we've got, yes. which is all we've ever done. Yep. Um, and it's been a good way, especially during COVID, to tell people what we were doing or, you know, safety things we were putting in place. And um, so it's only ever been used as like a um, like for me to talk to um, my customers mm-hmm. and to show them like some delicious things that we've been baking yep. and what we're really excited about. So um, I really love it in that when it's um, – when it doesn't have all that um like you know monetization on it and things like that you're not using it for this like marketing tool Mm. when it's just an organic conversation between you and an audience yeah probably doesn't hurt that your cakes look beautiful on instagram as well (laughs) very nice (laughs) they're very pretty (laughs) um you knew from a very young age as we've said uh that you wanted to to be a baker and you've made it a career for, for a lot of your life what advice do you have for for people who might later in life mm. be thinking oh i really like cooking i really like baking that sounds great yeah i might like to do that because i'm not really sure about my job color yep. coding yep. spreadsheets <laughs> yeah. in, in the office <laughs> yeah what 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 are some of the advice that you would have for someone going down that journey themselves. Yeah. Uh, so the biggest thing I would say to anyone uh, doing it is um, it, it is a craft, so it is repetitive. So at some point if you think, like if you want to make something successful, you're probably going to have to make a recipe many times in a day because there's a lot of difference between making one red velvet cake at home and then making a hundred over a week and making sure that they're all the same um and you have to love the repetition you have Mm. to love every time you do something being engaged in the process of making it and then making and tinkering with it and 
looking out for the visual clues and um, getting it right every time. And I like I think about it like um, there's a great um, Joni Mitchell quote where she says, you know, um, you know, Van Gogh painted Starry Starry Night and he only did it once, but you know, she's got to go out there and play um, a case of you like a million times and sort of give it the same feeling. Um, so it is like that. You have to, yeah, really stay connected to that craft and that repetition. You have to love repetition. Yeah. Yep. Do you still have the same passion for, for baking as you did as a I do now. seven-year-old? Yep. Yes, I do now. You do. I do now. You've rekindled it. I've rekindled it, yeah. Yes. I was pretty... I to confess to everyone out there probably for the first time is that I was pretty um I thought I'd fallen out of love with it mm. which is one of the reasons why I needed to stop um but in the last few months I've really yeah regathered um that creativity it just yeah it flows like melted honey now it's great yeah fantastic yeah. it must feel good to to have that weekend it's amazing because if you thought you'd well, lost it yeah because if you lose it what do you do then yes. I go back to spreadsheets yeah yeah, yeah. I want to do that. So I'm glad, <laughs> glad we've still got your baking then. <laughs> um, we, we said uh, you are uh, yeah, cooking for 1,600 people yes. later this month uh, as part of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival's amazing World's Longest Brunch. Yep. Tell us a little bit about how, what, what's on the menu and how, how you even go about conceiving um, a menu that, that can be executed at scale at such a extraordinary scale yeah well I was um so delighted that Pat asked me to um Pat Nurse asked me to do this and after our first chat I was like oh what's my favorite breakfast okay well it's like probably like eggs benedict or something like that and then I'm thinking oh that's like that would be a nightmare to do for 1600 people and also something you can that's very um uh, you know, common on breakfast menus, um, something that I love to have when I'm on holidays. That's my holiday breakfast of choice. So I went home and thought about it. And then I remembered in the early days here when it was um, Sarah Kerwin Walker and I just like doing our thing in the back. Um, and um, she and I would just like raid the fridge because we used to do sandwiches as well. We did lots yeah. of sandwiches. Yep. So we'd raid the fridge and get a couple of like snicky snacky bits out um, and have them. And they were usually high in salt, vinegar and like savouriness because of all the cake we were going to be eating during the day. Yes. So instead of a ploughman's lunch, I called it a cake woman's breakfast. <laughs> 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 and, um, and the team at Peter Rowland um, take this idea that I just like write down and send them some pictures of and then they execute it to the nth degree and it's incredible just incredible um and i'm so delighted and i've also got cake for breakfast so you get to eat cheesecake for breakfast as well beautiful <laughs> i'm already looking forward to, to that but a, a salty breakfast i think is a, a lovely foil yeah yeah to, to, to that so yeah was it fun creating that so and much fun seeing them come to, well they haven't come to like quite yet so much fun well i've seen um the test plates and yeah. i've eaten the test plates and the test plates are delicious yeah. um and um some parts are even better than what i would be able to do um with my skills and i just yeah i can't wait for everyone to eat that kind of like little you know picking at a little breakfast plate of like delicious things it's the best way to eat i i, I couldn't agree more and very much looking forward <laughs> forward to trying that um 
Nat, uh, you are in the process of, of writing your second yes, book. Yes, the that manuscript. Correct? The manuscript went in a couple of weeks ago. I had a big cry when I hit the send button because it just felt like it was, it had been gestating for a long time, and I'd put it off a couple of times with COVID and um, just with shop things. Sure. And um, so, doing the edits at the moment. First little photo shoots coming up um, week after next. And yeah, wow, and there'll be another little um, baking book to sit beside the first one. So together, you'll be able to get like a real snapshot of nearly everything we made at Beatrix. Wow! Yeah. So, so, so it's in similar style to the, the first. Similar book, style. Just, yep. Just, just yep. Yep. The, the the recipes that didn't make the first book. That's right, and yeah. also some new ones that have been um, given to me by the baking gods um, right. uh, while I've, my creativity has returned. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the, the simplest, but often the, one of the hardest cakes to, to perfect for the, for the novice baker is the sponge cake. The sponge, we love, yep. we love in Australia, of course, um, so, so dearly, but it is tricky. So what's, what's the Napal Well, my tried and true method is to build a meringue first. So egg whites, lots of sugar beaten in, um, whipped in um, gradually. Um, And then to that base, you fold in the egg yolks. It gives you a really, really stable base. Then you fold in your flour. You're very gentle, of course, the whole way through. And then at the end, you hit that um, batter with some hot milk and butter that's like steamy hot. Just raises the temperature of the batter. So when it goes in, it gets like a really good push from the oven. And it also keeps it really light and soft. Like milk is this like universal softener for um, batters and doughs. And, And that way you'll always have a perfect sponge. Wow. Yeah. That's a great tip. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else are you loving baking at the moment? Now, now your creative is back, and you're, you're, you're um, you know, happy to be back in the in the kitchen. Well, I'm going to confess that one of my favourite cakes in the world is the caramel mud cake from the big supermarkets. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and um, when the shop closed, and um, we were still baking cakes, but I was just like, I was at home for a few days and without cake. And um, so I sent my partner down to get one because I'm too embarrassed to buy it at the supermarket myself <laughs> and get busted for it. But now I've told everyone, so now it's out in the open. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> so I've wanted to recreate that for ages, but I've never quite um, got there. But um, a couple of weeks ago, we just nailed it without using any like chemical sort of caramel flavorings. And I'm so excited oh. to bring that that cake into the world because it is just so damn good and yeah oh so yeah you you will make a lot of fans with that i think so i think think so yeah many people's secret guilty pleasure yes yes yeah um (laughs) so to get give give it the beatrix twist i think is super exciting yeah Yeah. when 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 might we get a taste of that um it might go on the menu for winter, mm-hmm. so um, we'll probably put it on because it's more those sort of winter caramely flavours, and then um, hopefully I can get the recipe into the book as well. Yeah. Amazing. For 2024. Oh, so good. <laughs> um, Nat, it's been just so lovely to, to chat with you uh, this afternoon. Oh, you too. Um, but uh, just to, to, to finish up, uh, we all know that uh, good food, good company um, is better together. So I'm just wondering what... You uh, you cook up at home when you're celebrating something special or, or having someone special over. Um, so my favourite thing to do um, is usually like a joint of meat, so something like a shoulder of lamb. And I've just found this Karen Martini recipe where she does a wet brine for the lamb um, for 24 hours and then slow roast it. 
absolute game changer because yeah. that uh, those like lamb shoulders can be a little bit fatty. Yes. Um, and this gives it a depth of flavour. So beautiful. And I like doing things like a little, you know, chopped um, tomato and green capsicum um, salad, mm-hmm. lots of pomegranate molasses, yes. nice, soft, um, fluffy flatbreads, um, fresh from the oven, homemade. So people can kind of like snick and snack um, again, yes. like just how they like to do it. Yeah. 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 The, the, the brine, is that just like a 50-50 salt? It's, it's like a wet brine? Yeah, wet brine, wet, wet brine. brine. It's really strong as well. Like it was quite, um, yeah, high in salt and um, like fennel seeds and um, – all of that and stuff in it. It's just so, so good. Wow. Yeah. I think that is a game changer. And, yeah. And uh, for those who are listening outside of Australia, um, Karen Martini is one of uh, Australia's most iconic chefs. She's, she's um, on the TV but uh, yeah. has been cooking for, for three decades and, yeah. um, and cooks amazingly accessible um, foolproof recipes, I, I think. They're foolproof and yeah. they're so tasty yeah. and they become instant, like, repertoire, like, solid yeah. repertoire recipes, yeah. Great. You've added another one onto mine now, so thank <laughs> you for that and thanks so much for joining us, Nat. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you don't miss an episode. Follow Food for Thought wherever you get your podcasts and if you've enjoyed today's episode or even if you haven't, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at foodforthought at mryum.com or better still, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you have a burning question you'd like one of our industry experts to tackle or have someone you'd love to hear on the show, do let us know. This podcast is proudly presented by Mr. Yum, the industry-leading growth platform that provides the ingredients for venues around the world to serve, connect with and reward their customers. Remember... As an industry, we are all better together and coming together helps the industry and everyone in it to grow.